So, welcome everybody. Now, uh, I'm here to introduce our keynote speaker, Wilson Sider. I just want to say a few words first about today and about uh, Wilson. Um, I've asked Wilson to address the seminar this morning because there's, there's, there's more than one reason Australia needs a Glass-Steagall separation of banks. Right, there's a very obvious one, protect us from a crisis, protect our deposits in a crisis, you know, it's the, the opposite approach to, to bail-in, right, which is, we just launched the petition about, so that we can escalate on that issue post the election. But there's a, there's a more fundamental reason, which is the very functioning of our economy. And in the last 18 months, um, in our, uh, thanks to Wilson's side for stepping forward and assisting us in our campaign, he has he's become a very important collaborator of the CEC. He brings a unique perspective as someone who's worked in investment banking and in the regulators to this, to this cause of reforming the banking system. And uh, what, what's happened is, we've, as, we've, as Wilson has accompanied me to Canberra to, to speak to members of parliament, you get to, in these discussions, you get to see the assumptions that they have and what, how those assumptions shape the way they think about something like Glass-Steagall, including, including often the denial they have that Glass-Steagall is necessary. So what I've noticed in our, in our, in our um, trips together is Wilson has become more and more stimulated by these experiences to want to get what he knows out through various papers he's written, etc. So because, because he can tell, he, he, he has done his own research and he can tell why the assumptions of these politicians that we're talking to are wrong, right? Um, and as a result, Wilson has done a lot of incredible work uh, over, very productive work over the last 18 months in multiple papers, etc. And the last time we were in Canberra, he was showing me the original research he's been doing on Australia's economic data, where he's a, you know, not all of us are uh, data analysts, it can be a rather boring job, but thank goodness for people like Wilson who have the mathematical skills to do it. So he can, he's, he's looked at it, and what I was struck by when he was giving me these, um, uh, just a bit of a flavour of, of what he's found, is these are the things that the CEC for 30 years has been concerned about. But here's Wilson coming at it from a completely independent objective standpoint, arriving at much the same conclusions about the data. And what Wilson will prove today <laughs> is, I won't, I won't steal this under too much, is that when you have an election like we've just had, and our, Morrison, our, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is saying, how good is Australia? And, and the assumption is, how good is the Australian economy? Right? It's not. <laughs> but we can say that. I'm, gonna, I'm about to let Wilson prove it. So now, because of um, uh, certain, Wilson and I strategize about this morning because certain things he's going to go through, he wants, um, it's, what we would normally do is I would give a briefing to you all to start the proceedings about what's happening in Australia and the world in terms of the, the, the major issues we're concerned about, such as the state of the financial system, such as the state of international relations and the danger of, of things spiraling out of control. I'm gonna do that next, because I want, Wilson's gonna say a few things that, that's gonna help set the stage for what I say. So we're gonna do Wilson in two parts. He's gonna give the first part of his presentation now. I will then speak and give you a briefing that complements what he's done. 
and then we'll have a break, and then Wilson will do the second part of his presentation before lunch, and then we'll have lunch. Um, Wilson has a lot of uh, charts, illustrations, so that's the other good reason he's going first, because you need your brain switched on, right? This is, uh, you know, what, what, what Wilson will go through is a pretty thorough proof about the state of the economy, right? And what, uh, what you will find valuable as activists is that knowledge that you can then, you know, once you see it presented in this way, we're, we're videotaping this so we can go on YouTube, etc. This knowledge can help you get out there and spread the word of why stopping bail-in and getting Glass-Steagall enacted is so important. Right, so put your thinking caps, put your thinking caps on, um, concentrate as much as possible, breaking the presentation up into two parts will help, but let's, let's um, learn as much as we can now and then put it to you. So with that said, let me hand over to my very good friend and collaborator, Dr. Wilson Syed. Well, I must say that I'm honoured to be associated with uh, the CEC uh, because over the last 18 months uh, that I've been associated with CEC, I feel that uh, you are making a lot of progress in terms of uh, uh, getting the message out there. And uh, even at the beginning of the period, uh, we found that the politicians were reacting in one way and over time they start to shift. So I think it's all due to the important stimulus that uh, Robbie has put forward and also uh, galvanizing everyone to participate in this uh, movement. And so I congratulate your achievements. My uh, today's talk um, is uh, just titled um, the economy of the lucky country. Now we, we all say that Australia is the lucky country. So my, the first part of my talk will be about how lucky, in what respect, at least economically, is Australia the lucky country. And after, after the first part, uh, Robbie will, will talk about some, some, some of the issues I raised in the first part. And, and afterwards, after morning tea, I'll come back and talk about more uh, deeper aspects of the economy. In other words, there has been some quite uh, serious structural changes in the last 30 or 40 years, as you may all feel or experience as well. Now, uh, my approach is different from uh, a lot of other people's approach in that in that I don't start off with any ideology or economic theory. I don't, I, uh, as a scientist, I believe everything, every theory you have is potentially wrong, and you have to constantly uh, watch, you know, match it with observation and change your ideas when facts uh, are confronting your theory. So, so my passion now is to actually discover, try to discover the economic truth scientifically. That is, using, um, looking at the facts and the data. And the first quotes that I have is that it's come from the uh, one of the early books by uh, Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes was asked by Dr. Watson, 
He said, you know, what, what is your theory about this particular sort of murder case, obviously? And, and uh, Sherlock Holmes said, I have no data yet. It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Sin insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit the theory instead of theories to suit facts. So this is my approach, right? I follow Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and the important thing is uh, starting with data and, and more importantly, which a lot of people do not do, a lot of people present data in their uh, opinion, but the, da but, the, but the data, the opinion doesn't follow from the data, right? It's a, it's a typical trick of a lot of uh, government reports. I mean, having read so many reports now, I've sort of realized that uh, they present the data and then they draw the conclusions. You know, the recommendations, uh, the, the most recent one you've seen was the uh, uh, Royal Commission. Now, everything point, the Royal Commission finding point, point, uh, have, has pointed to a lot of things wrong with the system, right? But the recommendation just says, look, we, 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 we just need to do what we've been doing, just a bit more of it. <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, so the important thing is to analyze the stuff from the data and analyze what, um, what follows from it. So the question is, how lucky is the country? Well, the Australia's lucky country run by second-rate people who shares its luck. This is the full quote, quote from, Don, uh, from the term lucky country from Don, Donald Horn. It lives on other people's ideas, and although its ordinary people are adaptable, most of its leaders in all fields so lack curiosity about the events that surround them that they are often taken by surprise. So you've seen the surprise from the GFC. You know, the, the, the governor of the Reserve Bank said, yeah, we, no one saw it coming. Right. <laughs> um, so, what I'm going to talk about, what is the economic luck, what is the luck, what are the risks to this luck at some stage, um, what could happen, what are the second-rate responses. Now, this chart is, a, is, is, the, is a chart that claims that Australia has great economic management. And if you look at here, now this is a chart of, of uh, economic growth, right? So you can see earlier there's been dips. Any dips along the line are recessions, okay? Since the, uh, December 1991, right, which is uh, at that stage, it was the last recession, December 1991. We have not had a recession for 27 and a half years. So the claim is that, uh, is that this is a uh, great economic management. The next uh, chart just draws the, the point at which we had the GFC. So during the global financial crisis, we, we indicated by, by vertical line, Australia did not enter the recession, right? 
So there lies the claim, Euro money that, uh, that, that, uh, that year or year after, named Wayne Swan, the, the world's best treasurer. <laughs> and, yeah. and everyone, uh, and everyone uh, in, in, the, in the government, the regulators, uh, APRA, RBA, the, the Australian Treasury, they all claim credit, of course, including Ken Henry, you know, his, his famous dictum, uh, go hard, go early, go to households. So that was the, the claim that uh, saved, the, saved Australia. Wayne Swan uh, oversaw the cash handout in 2008 and all these uh, various programs and that was how the public perceived was the uh, way that we were saved from a recession. And moreover, a lot of people say, well, what about the mining boom? Wayne, Wayne Swan says, well, it's got nothing to do with the mining boom. You know, it was just their good management. <laughs> but uh, but from, from all my studies, that sort of economic stimulus uh, did not really ever work from, from, the, from the analysis. So, um, so what did happen? Well, here's the next chart. What happened was that the, uh, uh, the blue, blue line here is uh, net export uh, by China alone. In other words, export minus import. Whenever export is greater than import, the uh, income of the country goes up. Right, so that that is a positive for for uh, GDP, economic growth. The European countries and and Japan and so on, the OECD countries, uh, are the red line, and they subtract from economic growth because uh, Australia imports, you know, Japanese cars, import uh, American machineries, a lot of stuff are imported uh, that Austra uh, Australians consume. And I will explain later why that is the case. Um, now, if you look, uh, well, that, that is the number of dollars. So uh, the next chart just simply shows you in terms of GDP. So China, for example, in the, in the last 10 years, has added 2% to the GDP. Now, you know that uh, recently we announced that uh, the GDP was about 1.5%. 1, 1. So you can see the impact of uh, export to China, which is enormous. Now, whilst, whilst it's true, if you look very closely at here, uh, in 2008, 2009, that, that growth has not occurred yet. I mean, this, this large, it was just taking off, according to the data. But, but that is a little bit misleading, because this data that you, you see is the result of something that's happened already over time. In other words, you've got to go and build your mine, dig out the stuff, transfer it overseas, get your money, right, before that registers in data. So, so things have already happened before then. And, and, and to prove it, I look at the Australian Resources Index. Now, the, the, uh, the red line is the, the, the start of the, uh, the, uh, the, the Rudd government, right? And you can see that the, the resources index has a huge run-up already before 
Kevin Rudd got in, right? And in fact, by the time the GFC occurred, people were getting nervous, and the market always looked, you know, the financial market always tried to look ahead, right? So they were nervous that China may not, you know, proceed with the orders and things like that. So we had a little bit of a crash, right? But as soon as uh, uh, the signal, the, the, the coast is clear, uh, you know, everything went up, right? But on the other hand, you could say, well, you know, even in the data, why did Australia not go, go into a recession then? Well, um, so this is, this is the part that I show already over here, um, right? That, that instead of, there was a trend going down, right? Okay, but somehow it stayed up. <laughs> you see the trend that economic growth is trending down uh, over the uh, few decades, but it didn't uh, go down. So what, what's the reason? Well, if you look at the next chart, that is Australian population growth chart. On the bottom is the natural rate of growth due to natural increases, birth minus death, uh, the green line. The red line is net immigration. So you can see that in 2007, right, this is well before the GFC, there was already a huge run-up in immigration. And at, at the height of it, which is sort of back, uh, about in 2009, it reached uh, Australian population was at that stage at the peak, half a million a year at, that, at the peak rate. So the huge increase. So the pop, what happened was that the population growth saved Australia at that time. And then later on, it was the... Um, it was the uh, uh, China uh, mineral boom that took over. So, um, so in terms of uh, this chart gives you the, the rate, the impact of uh, population on GDP. So at the peak, the impact of immigration on GDP was 2.2% at the peak. So it just come at the right time to save Australia, the, the, the growth in immigration. And the, uh, the 2007 was the uh, change of legislation under uh, Kevin Andrew, the, the, the uh, Citizenship and uh, Immigration Act was relaxed in some way, and so that, that was why there was a surge in immigration. So that adds, adds to it. And, and if you took out, right, this is, this, is a, this is an analysis chart here, the next one. If you, the green line is what actually happened, okay? So the green line is, is what the data was, right? Okay? But if you took out, the red line is that if you took out immigration, right, and left everything else, it's a red line. So the growth is lower, as you expect. And the, and the, and the blue line is that if you took out the export to China as well, the net export effect, Australia would have been in a recession for a lot of the time in the last 10 years. So you take out those two factors because uh, uh, you can see that the growth would have been below the zero line for quite a few years. So um, let me see what the... Uh, You're right. 
Now the well, this this is just a the next chart is just a, 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 a it's a bit busy, but it just tells you how important uh, in, uh, trade is international trade is to Australia. Firstly, this this is import and export. So the the green is import and the red is export. So whenever the line is above, you get trade surplus, trade deficits, and so on, right? And the, this chart shows you that most of the time, Australia runs a um, uh, net uh, trade deficit. You know, which Australia imports more than they export. Now, the this chart here tells you the the comparison the comparison between OECD and China. OECD has always been very high uh, uh, export, right? But also very high import in the bottom chart here. In the case of China, it's the two lines seems to be parallel in import. But, but uh, since uh, 2010 to now 9-10, there's been a surge of export. So that explains why there was suddenly a, um, a huge uh, net export surplus to China and that added um, a lot of uh, growth to the growth data. All right, the next chart, just simply say, look, uh, advance Australia lucky. <laughs> now, in the next chart, I'll tell you that, that it is not actually fair, uh, economically speaking, not actually fair, but certainly lucky, right? Uh, now, the song says you know, they've got... With young and free means that you can have a, you can uh, a lot of population growth, right? <laughs> Golden soil and, and wealth of toil. Certainly, there's a lot of red dirt that you shift off by, by <laughs> shiploads, right? And we get a lot of money, right? So, so those two factors, right? The song got it right, you know. It's the first three lines, right? So, so, uh, so demographic. Pro I, I give you the, the estimates of impact currently. The demographic factors accounts for 0.6 of the GDP, and the uh, uh, golden soils uh, account for 2% of the GDP. So you can see, and um, net migration is uh, 1%. So, so the fat of the land gives 3.6% of economic growth, right? So the fact that it's not 3.6 at the moment means that the rest of the economy is going backwards. Right, everything else must be going backwards. So, um, so the question is, um, the thing is that plenty of countries uh, were, in the past, were in similar situation in Australia. You know, some of the uh, Latin American countries, for example. Um, so you've got to realise also that the population growth itself is, is, a, is a Ponzi scheme because what happens is that unless the immigrant people are, uh, the immigrants are uh, productive, you're add, adding more people for the same resources, for the same thing. So you could actually go backwards in terms of uh, your standard of living, right? And, and, and unfortunately, that's what happened, right? The, uh, the, uh, the resource uh, endowment can potentially hide a lot of the problems. Um, so, so what we see here in this chart is that, is that the same data again, but what I did was to do a, 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 a statistical 
best fit, which is a quadratic spline curve, right? But what it does is shows you the, the curvature as well. So not just, a, not just a, a, a trend line, but a curvature. So it's going down and it's going, fast, going down faster. So the, the, the rate of growth of uh, the standard of living or the productivity um, is, uh, is slowing. The improvement in standard of living is slower. And, and, and just, just to show you that, that this is confirmed by, by other people's research as well. I do my research and then I see whether, what other people are saying. And, and this is a recent chart about Australia per capita GDP, which is productivity, which is standard of living. And, and they were pointing out that, the, that there's been two quarters of negative growth in uh, income per capita in Australia. So they were worried that this is a definition of, uh, of productivity recession. The, the, the standard definition is you know, two quarters in Australia, two quarters of negative growth. So standard of living has been falling for two quarters. Now, uh, so the, la uh, the next chart just shows you um, uh, it's the productivity. Now, now instead of the, uh, uh, just GDP, it's product, pro GDP per capita. So without China, uh, uh, the Australian economy would be going backwards for the last 10 years or so. Now the next thing is the final claim. What is the, you know, the claim is that uh, the government budget deficit, you know, all this government stimulus that save Australia, right? So you can see this, this chart comes from the uh, Treasury budget data for Australian Treasury. Now the, the up and down curve, right, whenever the, the red line refers to the right axis, so it's, it's the uh, uh, government budget deficit as a percentage of GDP. So you can see that for the, since the GFC, it has remained uh, uh, deficit at yeah, 2 or 3%, and at the worst is more than 4% of uh, budget deficit, right? In terms of dollars, the, the green lines is the dollars, right? So it's about you know, 30, 40 billion dollars uh, per year. So you can see uh, uh, now the, the different dots are just, the red dot is, is the, um, is the uh, Hawke-Keating government. The blue line is the, is the next, uh, um, the Howard government. And then the red line is the Rudd-Gillard uh, government. And this is the uh, uh, shortened, I mean not short, Abbott, uh, Abbott, um, Turnbull. Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison, right? So, so that's, those are the different uh, political uh, party governments. But you can see this period, if, if, if budget deficits generate economic growth, we would have been you know, having a boom because we had you know, the, the China impact and the immigration impact. If you added the, the, uh, uh, the deficit, it would have, uh, you know, should have been a huge economic boom, but it didn't happen, right? It was still very lackluster. Well, the thing is, with immigration, there are side effects, right? Uh, they, they, they were forced to uh, s slow down, mainly because of all these uh, traffic jams in Sydney, <laughs> right? Because there was a lack, a lack of uh, in, in infrastructure to, um, 
and water and electricity are you know, have, uh, not really uh, keeping up with the demand. And also, with, with too many immigrants, there's a lot of uh, racial tension. You, we've, we've seen uh, you know, problems with all these riots and Cronulla and so on. Um, so, so it's not, uh, in, immigration is not the answer uh, as such. Uh, you know, I'm not against immigration, but, um, but you've got you to plan accordingly. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, this chart tells you that immigration itself can't save you in terms of e uh, the economy because if you look at this chart here, uh, oh, oh, sorry, I was saying immigration cannot, cannot save you from the housing bubble. Right? We're, we're having the housing bubble. Prices are, are falling. Well, with, with more people demand more houses, save us from, from falling house prices. Well, this chart tells you, no, the answer is no, because the green, the green lights immigration, immigration always goes up quite smoothly, whereas, whereas house prices are re relatively volatile, right? So, you, you know, you might have, uh, uh, um, you know, you can see the wobbles, you know, the house price actually is quite much more volatile than immigration. So, so it tends to suggest the immigration can't, solve your problem on house, uh, housing bubble, housing crash. Now, so the other risk to the, uh, to the lucky country is the risks uh, about China. You can see that uh, there's a lot of, uh, historically there's been resentment against uh, uh, foreigners for a start. And then the, uh, particularly the, uh, the Chinese in the gold fields. Um, and then the uh, uh, Australian alignment with uh, United States and in the ANZUS Treaty, and America is very quite anti-Chinese, as you know. <laughs> and uh, the uh, fear of Chinese communist state in investment in Australia, and um, recent uh, strategic concern by the, the militaries or worry about you know Huawei, and you, you can see in the news. Um, and then, of course, uh, U.S. trade war and shooting war that could occur any time, I think. Um, so active effort to, uh, to, to limit Chinese influence in the Pacific. Um, and lastly, uh, China itself may be, may be uh, having an economic slowdown due to overstimulus. So, so those are the risks to, uh, to the, some of the major factors that, that help Australia. And I, and I think it's probably the right place to, uh, to stop. Um, so let me just uh, try to conclude. Um, so will, will the luck last? Well, the major risk is, is China because the relationship between chi China is, is a little bit rocky, potentially, at the moment. And then immigration uh, has a problem of diminishing return because once you, even though immigration adds to GDP in the short term, it creates problems in the long term because there needs to be uh, appropriate infrastructure spending, water, uh, and so on, uh, utilities. So, so those are the risks, and and um, and I think uh, the conclusion is um, the Australian economic growth since the GFC has bucked a trend of long long-term decline. There's actually 
long-term decline in the Australian economy. The luck is the spurt of immigration at the right time, and subsequently the China credit and mining boom. Uh, so uh, I think I've only got left about 10, 10 minutes for questions. Question, comments and questions. Yep, one second. Oh, you're up. You sure to get up? Yeah. <laughs> you go, Richard. Use this, please. Uh, doctor, I've always had a. Uh... Hold it a bit closer. It's not an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Practice on an ice cream. Should be a flavour. Um, I've always struggled with growth, the, the, the word growth, because a growth is also a cancer. And uh, the question I ask all learned uh, economists is that it, it does growth take in uh, speculative trading, like share market, uh, derivative trades, uh, and, and such like products that are really not doing us a lot of good? Well, the, the, the answer is that uh, the the, the financial market tends to deal with more with the, um, the, the balance sheet or the wealth aspect. It's, it's sort of like looking at your um, accumulated wealth, right? Whereas the GDP, it's about current activity or the activity in the last period, right? And the activity is measured by people's income, if you like, mostly. Consumption and investment, how much you spend in terms of consumption, how much you spend in terms of uh, building new factories and, and so on, right? So the GDP actually measure the real things. So, so that's why, um, uh, you know, you can't just make it grow just like that, <laughs> right? So more or less real things. Uh, although the, the, uh, the financial sector growth is due to more people entering into the financial sector. It's their wages, the income's growing. That's what's measured. But not the actual uh, you know, money or, or, or investment that's been measured. That is measured separately on the, on the balance sheet, which I will talk about too. Uh, it's called you know, uh, net uh, total assets and liabilities, you know. These, these measurements comes into trillions because you accumulate over time. So you've, like for example, with the, uh, with a, with a current account deficit of 2%, about 2% per year, accumulated over 30 or 40 years, it comes to trillions, right? So that's why, uh, that's why when you run a deficit, in other words, when you spend more than you earn, the amount of debt grows over time is enormous because even 2% per year accumulated over 40 years, you know, come to 80 or 100% of your GDP. Yeah. And also, there's also a <coughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Sarr. Um, as a 
look around here, I see some older people like myself. And uh, we lived through decades when Australia had a strong manufacturing industry and a strong agricultural sector, which were seen as the kind of foundations for the economy. Uh, our manufacturing, as a percentage of GDP, has just continued to go down, down, down. And our agriculture has weakened, I think, um, yep. uh, through lack of, uh, lack of foresight and good government policies and so on. So my question is, do you think we can have a strong economic future without uh, strong manufacturing and strong agriculture? And if so, where, the, where does the industry for Australia come from? private sector growth, where, where are we going to get uh, growth in real, in the real economy in this country? Yeah. Well, uh, firstly I agree with uh, uh, your observations, and in fact I'm going to uh, show you the data for that in part two. So the short answer is, uh, in terms of whether, uh, whether that's a good thing, in terms of uh, it's absolutely is, is no. I think the Australian economy has become very badly unbalanced for the very fact that the goods sector, which I, I will show, show you in part two, <laughs> uh, has been decimated. Uh, and, um, and it is because uh, it's much easier to earn export if you want import to other people's goods, is to be able to ex export goods yourself, right? <laughs> So that creates the balance. Whereas if most of your economy is a service economy, right, it's much harder to export service. Right? Even though they say, look, uh, you know, uh, education, for example, have, uh, bringing students to earn foreign uh, income, uh, it's still only very small because uh, it's hard to accommodate large enough number of students and all this sort of thing to earn education export. So, so that's why, you know, whereas you, you shift tons and tons of red dirt, it's easy. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, I mean, you, you will see uh, uh, in part two, I'll give you, show you the data. To, it confirms what you say, you know, uh, that, that, that the uh, manufacturing industry has been decimated. You know, and, uh, and that creates uh, a lot of uh, risk to this economy because it means that you need to import everything you consume in terms of gadgets, you know, cars you import from Japan, washing machines from somewhere else, uh, you know, and uh, machinery for even agriculture from America. And, you know, what do we do to pay for all these things? <coughs> Um, Dr. So that is, the way you presented those charts was absolutely masterful because it was just a step by step walk into reality. And, and my question is, did you have to create those charts yourself, or are they readily available to Treasury? Would they be looking at what you what you presented and saying? No. No, the uh, uh, those charts that I have uh, are uh, data analysis. In other words, it's raw data. You have to process it. Right? You have to do some calculation. Yes, yeah, so your calculation is in there. Yeah. 
Okay, so they can just ignore those calculations and pretend that everything's sweet. Correct. When you, when you do yeah. the analysis, I mean, you produce those. If, if you, yeah, if you can present data and you can't understand, you only see, when you just present the raw data, you can just see what it is you know, going up or down, that's it. But, but you need to relate that data to other data you know, to actually understand what, what, it re what is the me meaning of it, you know, what is significance. Right? So, so I've, I, like for example, uh, the chart that I show you about uh, like the deficit, I, put it, I do a calculation relative to GDP. Uh, GDP. So what, how much uh, deficit it is. If, if I told you that $30, million, $30 billion, it's hard for you to grasp, you know, is it large or small? You know? 30, is $30 billion a year a lot or not, not a lot? Yeah, so. Can yeah. I just ask one further question then? Does this mean that the government actually doesn't know what you've got there? That, that's, that Kevin Rudd may not have known the reality that you have there. Correct. So, so when he Correct. says we're doing well, he believes it. Yeah. He, he's not lying. Yeah. He just doesn't know. That's right. That's right. And is there anyone in Treasury who do what you've done and say, Prime Minister, this is the underlying reality. Is there anyone there who actually do what you have done there? Well, uh, they could do. But they don't. But they don't. I mean, I, 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 was, I was working in APRA. I was, yes. I was doing similar sort of stuff on uh, regulation, on various, on superannuation, on, on the banks and so on. And, uh, well, they just don't really want to know. <laughs> so the government, if the guys aren't actually lying right, straight up, they don't know. They're not provided with that accuracy. Yeah, most, most politicians don't do any analysis for a start, right? Obviously, that it's, it requires a lot of effort, right? You've got to pay someone maybe to, to, to do this analysis. Uh, and then what they do is they just ask, they, you've, whenever they want some, to know something about the economy, typically a politician will write a memo to the Treasury, you know, can you give us some data on this or, you know, and, and the Treasury will package up some information to give to the politician, you know, and yeah, Wayne Swan, I think, probably honestly think that, you know, he was responsible for this, for, for the saving Australia, <laughs> because after all, you know, he was, uh, yeah, he was given a prize, you know, an international prize, you know, so. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Um, my question is, one of the graphs you showed that the standards of living in Australia has gone up and it's gone down into the negative, but they didn't have that graph from the standards of living. Well had, well, had it not been for those factors, it would have uh, gone backwards, right? But even with those factors as, as they occur, right, the trend of sort of increasing standard of living is uh, moderating. You know, it's, it's growing, the standard of living is growing slower and slower. Yeah, I mean, increase, it's going slower and slower. And I will show you a chart that that, that data is mis misleading in, in a way, right? Misleading in the sense that it's the average of everybody, right? You know, it's the, it's the total income divided by total population. But if you look at the distribution, in other words, if you look at how much the top 1% get and how much the top bottom 90% get, you get an even 
more pessimistic picture because the top 1% takes in a lot of the income. So I will show you that in part two as well, that, that the, um, you know, the, 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 the economy has created more income inequality, right? So the, the top 1% are doing very well. Uh, yeah, the, the, the income is increasing much faster every year, whereas the, the, the lower part of the population is you know, increased, uh, increasing much, much more slowly. You know? And so my data that I'm going to talk about talk, uh, shows you that 90%, but you may want to look at the, the bottom 50% <laughs> or the bottom 20%, it would be even worse. So, so there's a lot of uh, uh, Australians, that's what I mean by you know, Australia not being fair. It's lucky, but not fair. Right? Uh, the, the distribution has not been, uh, been uh, I think, conducive to, to a harmonious uh, system. Yeah. Thank you, Wilson.